Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hello, everyone. We are in Revelation chapter 4. This is our seventh lesson since we started this. We got the messages of the seven churches in our last two chapters. Now the stage has been set as we take on our first peek into the beautiful throne room in heaven. And although the chapter is only 11 verses, it's packed with insights of a place where believers will be someday. And that's you and I. So think back to a vacation where you were absolutely blown away by the majestic beauty of the place. And as you tried to snap pictures and to capture the sights that you were seeing, the pictures simply don't provide the true wonder of what you were experiencing. And I always just want to soak in the ocean when I'm there or the mountains so that it will be imprinted into my soul. So can you imagine how John must have felt as he is given this glimpse into God's throne room? Today, we are going to peel back the curtain to experience this event as John described to us here in chapter 4. We're going to have two divisions. The first one, the heavenly throne, and then the second one is the heavenly worship. So we have our heavenly throne and then heavenly worship. So our first division is Revelation 4, 1 through 8a. Let's begin with verse 1, and it contains many important messages and bits of information for us. Here's what it says. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Well, the after this comes right after the messages that we received about the seven churches. John then says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And this means that John was actually transported to the door of heaven. He was being invited to view and to partake of this place so that he could share it with us. I can't even imagine that. And the door being open refers to an invitation to come in. Just as Jesus refers to himself as a door in the verse from John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So now we have John, the disciple, being personally invited by Jesus into his beautiful and stunning throne room of heaven. Next, he hears the voice that he references to at the very beginning of this revelation, back in 1.12. He mentions that the voice is like a trumpet, and we know trumpets have historically been used to let people know that the show is about to begin, or there's a big announcement about to happen. And the message for John to come up has two major parts. When he says, come up here, the God of the universe is personally inviting John into heaven. So the doors open, and now God's saying, come up. What an honor this was for him. And there are many other references in the Bible when notable men were summoned to come to him 
to view heaven. Here are some examples. Moses in Exodus 24, 1 and verse 9. Come up to the Lord. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright and blue as the sky. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. Each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Ezekiel 1.1, in my thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning, and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And then in Daniel 7, 1-28, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. And of course, I didn't read all of 1 through 28. That's just the main part that I wanted to share. So the second part of this verse says, after he says, come up here, he says, I will show you what must take place after this. So Jesus tells John that he is going to show him something that's going to take place. And John is getting a front row and center to the greatest show in heaven. Next in verse 2, at once he says, I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And remember back in Revelation chapter 1, 9, John tells us that he was in the spirit when all of this happened. And perhaps John was getting to experience heaven as a spiritual being, rather than through his earthly body. We don't know that for sure, but it's a thought. So when we are fully capable in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our guide and allows us to see and hear things beyond our own capability. And what John sees is the throne of heaven with someone sitting on it. Can you imagine? Psalm 47, 8 says, God is seated on his holy throne. So John was seeing the creator. And what a sight to behold. In verse 3, John describes God. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. God indeed rules from a throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. John describes this brilliance of colors, referring to the gemstones that he was familiar with. Let's take a look at the significance of these two stones. Let's look at Jasper first, which is the last stone mentioned in the Bible in the high priest breastplate. Exodus 28.20 says, Jasper is a precious gemstone. It has many varieties of color and is also thought to stop hemorrhaging of blood. Well, this is interesting since the blood of Christ has now ceased and will never bleed again. Many early Christians wore this stone to remind them of the blood Jesus sacrificed for us. And Jasper also represents royalty, prosperity, prestige, and valiance. 
And the ruby is the first stone found in the high priest's breastplate. And it would be interesting just to go online and look up if you've never seen what the um, Old Testament priest's breastplate looked like with all the stones in it. Pull up a picture. It's very, very interesting. The stone signifies the scepter of God and the power and glory of God that comes forth in his purified people. Rubies are one of the hardest stones on earth. Only the diamond is harder. Red ruby signifies the precious blood of Christ, his resilience like the hard stone, and his firm stance. How cool is that? Jesus is the first and the last, and John describes two specific stones, the first and the last stone. And as we know, Jesus is now the true high priest. Then John also describes a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircling the throne. The only other reference to a rainbow is in Genesis. Again, we have a rainbow at the beginning and now here at the end in Revelation. Another amazing point to the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And the rainbow in Genesis reminded Noah of his covenant to him. And likewise, the scene of a rainbow in Revelation shows us the covenant that Jesus now provides to all believers, a place in heaven with him someday. So let's talk a minute about the science of a rainbow. You all know my love of science and how I see God woven throughout nature and science. And of course, because he's the creator. And a rainbow is produced by the refraction or the bending of light through droplets of water. Light rays are deflected. They're going in a straight path. And when they are bent, that's what we call refraction. And the curved surfaces of the raindrops, they deflect the light rays which breaks them into a solar spectrum. And guess how many colors there are? Seven visible colors of the rainbow. I don't find that an accident. And a storm and a sun are usually required to make a rainbow. The emerald rainbow sounds like something we can't even imagine on Earth. Rainbows have always fascinated us, and they fascinate me. So imagine one that shone like brilliant emeralds. And what is interesting is that here on earth, we use the symbol of the cross to represent Jesus. Well, in this heavenly throne room, there was no cross described. And I believe this is because the cross was defeated. A rainbow appears after a storm. It reminds us of the promise of God. Jesus overcame the storm of death. And now here his throne is encircled by the reminder of eternal life. Verse 4, we receive the description of those who encircled the throne of God. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. Most scholars believe the 24 to represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. What a beautiful representation of the elders of the Old Testament and now the elders of the New Testament. Another perfect representation of completion. Well, they were dressed in white with beautiful crowns of gold on their head. So we know white represents their cleanliness with Christ. They are not sin-stained. The crowns represent their royalty now with the king. Verse 5 says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. As beautiful as the scene was, the reminder of God's power cannot be overlooked. As brilliant as God's throne is, He is all-powerful, mighty, and He causes us to tremble. 
Next, the seven lamps blazing, which represent the seven spirits of God. And like we discussed from the first chapter of Revelation, where we heard about these seven spirits, here's a quick review of what we found from Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. 1. Spirit of the Lord. 2. Spirit of wisdom. 3. Understanding. 4. Counsel. 5. Strength. 6. Knowledge. And 7. Fear of the Lord. Well, verse 6 talks about the stage of the throne. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Well, let's talk about the sea of glass, clear as crystal. Have you ever experienced a calm sea? It really is the most beautiful thing, and it's a rare occurrence. And can you imagine this shimmering and stunning sight? And now we also see a reference to four living creatures covered with eyes front and back. And as confusing as this may sound, most scholars agree this describes angelic beings who see everything. In Isaiah, there's a reference to a very similar vision of these beings and that they had wings and thus again pointing to angels. Completing this verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion. The second, an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Let's look at each one in light of Ezekiel. He had a vision, and it's found in Ezekiel 1, 5 through 6. Here's what it says. They look like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Okay, so the lion represents power and authority. And this represents the wild animals. An ox is about strength and carrying burdens. And this animal represents domestic animals. Then the face like a man representing the one, Jesus, made in God's image. Then the flying eagle represents soaring stealth, majestic animals of the air. So these four characteristics describe Jesus who embodies all of these traits, a true representation of our Lord and Savior Christ. So verse 8a says, each of the living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under its wings. A further description of the four living creatures describes the six wings with eyes all over the entire wingspan. Isaiah 6 referenced this same scene, telling us the six wings covered their faces and feet, and then the other two were used to fly. And there are many thoughts why these angels are described in this way. The eyes, we do know, refer to an all-seeing, all-knowing God. The covered eyes represent that not even the angels are worthy of looking upon God. And the covered feet may mean an unworthiness to stand before him. All are speculative, of course, and as we know, with God, everything has purpose and reason. So here we are given our very first glimpse into heaven. And I wonder if this is one of the first places that we will see upon our arrival there. How awesome that we are given this beautiful description, and I can only imagine the majesty of this scene. And so your truth bomb for this part, heaven is real. It's majestic beautiful, and yet terrifying. And your call to action is, as you reflect on this description of heaven, is there anything to fear in this life? And if you are holding on to any fear, 
go back and reread this description of heaven. Part two, second division, is heavenly worship. And this is Revelation 4, 8b through 11. And verse 8 is split because it's at this point that the narrative changes from the description of the throne room into the worship going on there. 8b begins with worship. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Only twice do we see holy, holy, holy in the Bible. The other one was in Isaiah. And each time it was because Isaiah and now John were seeing a revelation from heaven. And the word holy means to be set apart. And so perhaps the use of the word three times could be the honoring of the Trinity, of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 through 10a says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. These verses begin the beautiful worship to our Almighty God. The verse begins with whenever, meaning that whenever they encountered God, there is no other option than for them to worship him. And along with the angels, the 24 elders also worship the king by falling down before him. Falling down before God demonstrates the ultimate honor and overwhelming unworthiness to stand before him. The primary word in the Old Testament translated worship literally means to bow down. And there are many references to falling down before God throughout the Bible. Abraham collapsed when God spoke to him. Joshua collapsed when he experienced the presence of the Lord. Ezekiel collapsed. The glory of the Lord appeared to him. Daniel collapsed on the ground when he encountered the glory of God. When God's glory was manifested to Peter, James, and John, all of them collapsed to the ground. Paul collapsed to the earth when he saw Christ on the road to Damascus. And now John collapsed at the feet of Jesus at the beginning of his vision on the island of Patmos. Falling before God is a true and complete submission to our Creator. The song, I Can Only Imagine, has the lyrics that say, Will I stand in your presence or fall to my knees? I have a feeling that I will fall before my King. And verse 10b through 11 says, They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the 24 elders take off their crowns, lay them before the throne of God, signifying they understand who their king is. In his presence, they are not worthy of wearing their own crowns. It's all about God. Humble submission is once again demonstrated, and God told us that he is worthy. When you really think about it, God is the only one who is worthy to be praised. We are deemed worthy because of his son's sacrifice on the cross. We don't deserve this worthiness, yet the cross extends this honor for each of us as believers. So the three words that they say to God that is worthy is glory, honor, and power. Glory is utmost praise. Honor is superior honor and respect. Power 
is the ultimate control and strength. Now, at the end of the verse, he's recognizing that God is the creator, and because of him, all created beings received their life from him. It is only through God. And so the truth bomb here is, Almighty God is worthy of all our honor, praise, and never-ending devotion. And your call to action is, in what ways do you show God how worthy he is to you in your life? So the summary of this beautiful and amazing chapter is that we get this glimpse into heaven and specifically the throne room of God. This is an honor for us and should give us with great hope of what is waiting for us. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to falling on my face when I encounter God and go through that door and see that throne room. So my summary sentence is this, God who sits on his throne is worthy of all praise. Revelation is just so amazing. I love that we get this chapter four of understanding and getting this glimpse into heaven before we really dive into the meat of the book of Revelation. So stay prayed up. I love you all and I'll see you next week. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.